So we have an, an extra reading from Ephesians 3, um, 14 to 19, so if you'd like to turn to that. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And the other reading is from Philippians 4, 1-9. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I, play, I plead with Euadia, and I plead with Sintich, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. Uh, back to the Royal Navy again. Uh, if you learn nothing else this weekend, you'll learn that I was in the Navy, so that's great. But uh, in, in uh, Royal Navy ships, <coughs> they have what's called stabilisers. And those stabilisers are there so that in rough seas they help to lessen the rolling and lurching of the ship. And they help to keep it stable. Uh, there was one ship I served on which was very early on in the piece and it was built uh, just after the war and it had no stabilisers. That's how old I am. Uh, so it had no stabilisers and in rough, I think it was built about 1850 I think. Uh, but it, 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 uh, it didn't have any stabilisers. And in rough seas, she was tossed all over the place, everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere. Over the, uh, and, and she sometimes went off course because she didn't have stabilizers. Well, as I've been trying to say over the last uh, few talks, uh, Christians need spiritual stabilizers because the church today in our generation is being tossed around by every wind of teaching. There has been a sort of dilution, a watering down, if you like, of God's word. And that has led to Christians lacking confidence in God's word. And I mean lacking confidence. I'm not overstating. You may think, oh, what is going on? The top? No. Would you, would you have believed 50 years ago that the church would be deba debating sanctioning same-sex marriage? Would you have believed that 50 years ago? No, you wouldn't have believed it. We've lost confidence in the word of God. And so Christians today are left confused often about what they believe and why they believe it. And as I said this morning, the philosophy of relativism, relativism has come into the church big time 
Some of us don't even know it, but it's, it, it, we're conditioned to it. And local churches now are, uh, are tossed around by every new wave of spiritual teaching. Something comes along, uh, and they follow that for three years, they get fed up with that, they jump onto some other bandwagon. That, that's how they live. There's no stability. They go for the latest trend, and we need spiritual stability. And as we've seen, uh, the church at Philippi faced similar problems. And so Paul wrote this letter exhorting them to stand firm in what they first believed. And in these verses, which we're looking at, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, he gives certain principles that they remain spiritually stable in these spiritually unstable times. And it's exactly the same message for us today. We live in spiritually unstable times. So this message is for us. Well, tonight we come to the fourth principle, verse 4, uh, <coughs> chapter 4, verse 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it seems out of place, doesn't it? It seems, uh, uh, how can you rejoice, as we just heard from our brothers and sisters, when, you, when, when the church in Philippi was going through difficult trials? How can they do that? Paul himself was in prison. How can you rejoice when somebody betrays you? Or somebody hurts you. Some here, right now, as I've just said, uh, will be finding life difficult at the moment. Not just, just the brother and sister who've said things. Some here will be experiencing hurts. It, it may be a relationship, maybe. It may be illness or disappointment. How can I rejoice? How can I be thankful? Well, let's look at three things. Why, how, and when. Firstly, why are Christians to rejoice? Three reasons. First, it is a command. Paul doesn't ask here. He doesn't advise. He doesn't beseech as we saw earlier. He says, rejoice in the Lord. It is a command. Do it. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So just as Christians are to grow in love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, we are to grow in joy. Jesus promised it. Remember? John 15, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Chapter later, John 16, Jesus said, no one will take away your joy. And the early Christians understood that. They understood it. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peter says in his first letter in chapter 1, you believe in Jesus Christ and you are filled with an inexpressible joy. That was the early church. And when you read about the early church, you'll see that it was. Their lives were joyful. They understood Jesus' promise. And if you're a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. You are to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, of which joy is one of those fruits. And so it is a command. But we're also to grow in joy because it's part of God's character. Joy of the Lord is a huge theme of the Old Testament and God's people are to grow to be like God, like our Lord Jesus. Psalm 16, verse 11, You, Lord, fill me with joy in your presence. The Psalms are full of joy in the Lord. When Jesus came to save his people, it was glad tidings of joy. To have a saviour to be forgiven and spend eternity with God brings great joy. It brings great joy. People who don't know God often see God as a judge. They see him as somebody to be feared or he's somebody who's out there and doesn't care at all. They, they don't know God and that's what they think he is. They see him as a judge often. That's the way I used to see him before I was converted. 
but he is a God of joy. And we are to show that joy to the world. There's nothing worse than non-Christians visiting a church which is dull and boring. And when there's just a few people in this church and they look as if they've been to a funeral, it's awful. Somebody said that, you know, when, when somebody walks into a church, they look as if they're going to a funeral, and when they come out, they look as if they've been. But there's nothing worse than non-Christians seeing that. But when, when non-Christians see Christians joyfully hearing God's word and praising God like we've just been doing, and praying and learning together and enjoying it in a full church, well, they may rethink God. They may rethink the gospel. Similarly, if, if, if the Christians they, that, are Christian, that, that non-Christians see at work or out socially, instead of being miserable and serious, they enjoy, those Christians enjoy life, that speaks to them about the gospel. It speaks to them about God. We mustn't portray our God as miserable, who, who, who wants to stop us enjoying life. Many Christians do, and it's tragic. There are some Christians, I don't know why, they're just always serious, overly serious. There's no fun. There doesn't seem to be any humour in them. I know that some characteristics are like that. But some Christians are just miserable for miserables' sake. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we must show that in our daily lives. No, that doesn't mean that Christians get drunk or that they behave immorally, that they use foul language. No, we are to pursue holiness and purity, but not always miserable. Killjoy Christians are a pain, and they are a denial of our faith. That's the second reason. Christians should also rejoice because it encourages others in the fellowship. You know, there are, there are certain Christians who over the years have grown in Jesus Christ, They've gone through the tough, they've been through the good. And they have cultivated true Christian joy. And those Christians are encouraging to be with. They are constantly learning new things and deeper things about God, uh, new things about the gospel, new mercies, finding new things to thank God for all their lives. Christians like that are a delight to be with. They refresh and they encourage. They spiritually energize you. Whereas some Christians always seem to be grumpy or always finding fault with the church. They're always talking about their own difficulties, their own problems, and they tend to make you miserable. You spend ten minutes with you, you go, oh, flipping heck, I came out happy this morning, now I'm as miserable as anything. I came to church this morning. But that's what, I know we have difficulties, of course we do. But there are some Christians who just sort of lift you up, even when they're going through trials. There's a couple that I know that have gone through, I won't go into it, for the last 10 years it seems to be one tragedy after another. They're 70 years old, they've gone through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. They're so encouraging to be with. I'm sure you know Christians like that. Charles Spurgeon called them lumps of sunshine. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Lumps of sunshine. Well, do you encourage others because you're growing in joy? It's very important that we cultivate joy. But secondly, how do we cultivate joy? It's not something that we can obey or not obey, is it? I mean, I may command you not to commit adultery or not to tell lies or not to gossip or whatever it is, and you just don't. 
But I can't say be joyful and you suddenly turn on Christian joy. It's not like that, is it? I've been trying to uh, think which of my grandchildren it was, but uh, I was told some years ago, I think it was by their mother, it may have been Jamie, it may have been, I can't remember who it was, but uh, I I remember that they said that one of our granddaughters, when she was uh, young, occasionally got grumpy. And when she did get grumpy, they told me nobody could cajole her out of it. You just couldn't get her out of it. But after a while, she'd say, well, I'm happy now. I'm happy now. I was miserable before, but now I'm happy. Everything changes. Well, you can't do that with Christian joy. You don't just switch it on and switch it off. Neither is it something that we can orchestrate. Some Christians and some churches that I've been to uh, confuse joy with being jolly And so they program their worship services and their music and what the leaders say, singing happy choruses to get people rejoicing. Oh, we'll get them rejoicing in this. And when they're singing and praising God, they think that's Christian joy. No, you don't achieve true Christian joy by hyped up worship services, which we program. No, you don't do that. Nor is Christian joy what I call uh, sort of positivity. Positivism, being positive. In the 1950s, there was a book which was written which has been very influential in Western society. I think the writer was Norman Peale, and it was called The Power of Positive Thinking. You may have have heard of it. And it was very influential. And what it said basically was, if I think good, positive things and not negative, you'll be happy. You'll achieve. You'll feel very good if you think positively. And that's had a huge influence in our society. And it's even come into the church. Oh, you mustn't be negative, you must always be positive. Well, look on the bright side. You know, every cloud has a silver warning, lining or whatever it is. And and so you get irritating people, who I think are irritating people, you may not, who are always positive. They're so positive. I'm grumpy and they want to make me happy. And I want to say, look, leave me alone. I just want to be grumpy. Go away, you irritate me trying to make me positive. But it's just like that. Oh, come on, Wally. You know, every cloud has a silver lining. I want to say, oh, shut up. Go away from me. Leave me in my grumpiness for now. And it's just positive thinking. These are not what Paul means by rejoice. Nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with being positive. There's nothing wrong with it. But those things are not being joyful, not true Christian joy. That's not what Paul's talking about. Then how do I cultivate true Christian joy? Well, like this morning, you'll notice he, Paul is very specific. Rejoice what? In the Lord. There's the key. That's the key again. It is joy in the Lord. In other words, the Lord, God, is the object of our joy. Or, we seek to be in the Lord and the result is joy. The Bible doesn't tell us to be joyful and then tell us how to go about it. You know, here are five steps. Because then, my happiness would be the goal. That would be the aim. But the goal for a Christian is never, never my anything. Our goal is to be in the Lord, and if we are in the Lord, we receive joy. In other words, God is the object of our joy, not joy itself. Joy comes as a result of seeking God. Do you see the difference? It's very important. If I seek to be joyful because I want to be happy and I want to feel whole or whatever it is, I won't experience Christian joy. But if I seek God, 
If I seek to be in the Lord, if Jesus becomes the goal of my life, if I live to please, obey and follow Jesus, then joy will will result from that. And the more I know Jesus, the deeper is my joy. Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. Seek God, what he wants, and Christian joy results. And being in the Lord simply means knowing God through Jesus Christ in relationship. Knowing his character, his beauty, his power, his love and his compassion. Read the Psalms, for example. And when you read the Psalms, meditate on God and what he's done his creation, his salvation, his faithfulness, his laws, his decrees, his gifts to his people. When David went through difficult times and difficult struggles, when he himself failed, and when he was unfaithful to God, he sought God and he learnt more of God's forgiveness. He learnt more of God's faithfulness and more of God's unfailing love. And joy was the result. Yes, he wouldn't have liked himself, of course he wouldn't. But joy, deep joy was the result. Not secular happiness. I'm sure he was miserable, but not secular happiness, Christian joy. So being in the Lord is knowing God more and more, and of course it's knowing and accepting the gospel, that the Son of God came, suffered, and died at Calvary for me. I didn't love God, I didn't want God, but he sent his Son to die for me. That even though I didn't deserve it, he showed me mercy. And if you meditate on that, it is cause for being joyful. And then consider that God is sovereign. He is almighty and all-powerful, yet he chose to love me. The longer I'm a Christian, the older I get. That is one thing I can never get over. After nearly 40 years as a Christian... You see, I know me. You only see the outside of me, but I know what I'm like inside. I wouldn't die for me for anything. I wouldn't love me for anything. And yet God chose to love me. He loved me. And nothing, as we've just sung, nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. God loved me so much that he gave his only son to suffer and die for me, to give me life. And he has a purpose for my life. And it doesn't matter whether I'm suffering or ill or whatever. He has a purpose for me. And he wants to know me and love me and, and he wants me to serve him. And when my life here is finished, I will go home to be with him forever and with my Saviour forever. You meditate on those things daily and live in the light of them and your joy will grow deeper and deeper and deeper. You see, Christian joy doesn't just come it's not like something, it, it, it's not something you ask for or switch on when the difficult times come. It is a constant, slow, growing understanding in your knowledge and your love of Jesus Christ. It is a deep trust of God. That's what it is. It is a deep trust of Jesus Christ, which, go, which grows as you go through the joys and the struggles and the failures of following Christ. He brings you through one and you trust him more. He brings you through another one, you trust him more. And it's slow. It is a slow thing. Joy is a fruit, and fruit takes time. It takes years and years to grow and mature. It needs watering and nurturing, which means staying in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. 
as we've looked at this passage, God keeps bringing us that to that. He keeps bringing us back to that, doesn't He? Abide in Me. Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, spending time with Christ, that's what brings and grows true Christian joy, which is deep. And it's a lifetime's work. That's the second thing. Thirdly, when are Christians to rejoice in the Lord? Paul says, always. Always. I love that question which was asked. When, you know, how to, always. No matter what you go through. And yes, <coughs> Paul knows that he's writing to real people like you and me. He knows that he's writing to people who are facing trials and struggles in their Christian lives, personal trials and struggles, who have their normal family problems, who have work problems and relationship problems. He's writing to people who face the same temptation and weaknesses of the flesh which he has and which we have. He knows that these, Christian, these Christians in Philippi also, around them, saw poverty and loneliness and hunger and, and depression and illness and oppression and injustice and pain and suffering. The things that we see on our television screens every day which frustrates us and which we ask in frustration. We, we, we ask the question, where is God in all this? Where is God in my life when I'm suffering? Where is God that he doesn't do something about all this suffering? They had personal tragedies and they asked the question, why God? Paul knew he was writing to those kind of people. Some of these Christians that Paul is writing to, some of their friends and families were being imprisoned for their faith. Paul here, writing this letter, was in prison. He was facing a possible death penalty. Paul knew these things. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always, Paul? Are you sure? Yes, he says, always. Because he wants them to understand that their joy, their deep Christian joy, is not dependent on circumstances. Circumstances change. God never changes. And so if, if their joy is in the Lord, it doesn't matter what happens to them or what they go through, it will always remain that deep trust in God, not happiness. That's the tragedy with people who don't know God, isn't it? That, that their joy is in other things. And so it doesn't last. Some people, for, for some people, work is their joy in life. That's their life. It's what they look forward to and thrive on. But what happens when the job goes? What happens when they grow old and have to go, when there's redundancy, when they have to retire? What happens there? Where's their, where's their joy then? Some find joy in their sport or their career. Their happiness revolves around their family or whatever it is. But one day, those things will finish. What will happen then? For many, being young is what brings joy, or today it's health or beauty. I can't, I can't, the, the millions that's spent on health and beauty is absolutely incredible. I walk around Hagley Park and I see they're all dressed in their, what is it, lycra, whatever, whatever it is. They've got all the latest stuff, spent absolutely millions on health, wealth and beauty. But the young will age. Health will decay. And bodily beauty will eventually deteriorate. Where will their joy be then? There's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with money or success or fitness. There's nothing wrong with beauty or having good looks. 
It's nothing wrong with good looks. Nothing wrong with a good body. There's nothing wrong with that. Enjoy them. Please enjoy, but don't let your joy, your life, depend on them because they'll go. You see, God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and he will be for all eternity. He never changes, and so it makes sense. If your joy, if your life is dependent on other things, they will pass away. They will pass away. But if it's in God, it will never end. Never. I think it's sometimes sad today that many Christians lose their joy. And it's because they get bogged down with other stuff in their lives. Other things take priority. What they want in life becomes more important. And they seek joy in other things and not in the Lord. There may be some here tonight who are like that at the moment, putting other things before God. Well, this then is Christian joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Why does Paul say it again? Why does he say it twice? Isn't it because he knows it's not always easy to rejoice? Just the same as it's not always easy to love or be patient or kind or compassion or show gentleness. Oh, it's easy when things are going well. It's easy when everything's bright and rosy. It's easy when the sun's shining. But what about when the hits come? When I fail or when I doubt, when I fall, it's hard then to keep cultivating joy. It's hard to keep cultivating joy when the hits keep coming. It's hard to keep trusting God. We get spiritually weary and when the trials come, our faith does get weak and we doubt and we do take our eyes off Jesus Christ. There's no question about it. Paul knows from experience that it's difficult to rejoice in all circumstances, but he also knows that it's important to cultivate joy in our lives so that when the trials do come, so that when the hurts and the struggles do come, we can show a world that doesn't know God that he is the one person who will always be there, who will always be there, in whom we can trust completely and always depend on. Other things will pass away, he will never pass away. I also know that God will never desert me. That never, if I sin, he still loves me. If I suffer, he still loves me. If others misunderstand me and hurt me and speak ill of me and cease to love me, he still loves me. If I'm weary and feel that I'm a bad person, not worth loving, conscious of my failures as a Christian, it makes no difference, he still loves me. If I fall into sin and feel that I've failed him, all I need to do is go to him and repent and ask forgiveness and I'm restored again. He never stops loving me. That can never change. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never to Jesus means never. How foolish then to let our joy depend on circumstances and even people because sooner or later they will let us down. There is only one thing that never fails, and that is to rejoice in, to have joy in, in Christ. Work at it, brothers and sisters. Cultivate it day after day in prayer and reading God's word and with fellowship which you're doing, because that joy 
is concerned with my soul and my eternal destiny, which is absolutely safe and secure because it's in Christ. And nothing can take it away. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray once again for our brother and sister who came up earlier and we pray regarding the trials and difficulties they're going through and their families. And we pray for the other people here who are going through real difficulties and trials. The weight may be on them and they feel the weight. Let them see once again, Father, that they can trust you. They can't trust anything else, but they can trust you. And help them, Father, we pray, to know that deep peace which passes all understanding, that they may rejoice in the Lord, that have that joy deep down in their hearts, that you can be, only you can be trusted totally. And I pray that you would bring them through their difficulties, Father, so that they, in turn, may be able to encourage their brothers and sisters who may be going through the same thing. I thank you for this church family. I pray your blessing upon them that they would continue to love and grow in our Lord Jesus Christ together as a church family, that they may show the world your love, which you showed in your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.